All right, marriage prep uh, 101, getting ready for the big day. Eight steps to intimacy. This is lesson number 12, uh, the next to last lesson in our marriage prep series. Today we're going to talk about uh, intimacy in uh, marriage. Uh, the Bible text that we'll use in our study of marital intimacy is the Old Testament's poetic book entitled The Song of Solomon. And I'm also going to use material from a small book by John Trent entitled Eight Steps to Intimacy. Now before getting into the book of poetry concerning Solomon, um, I'd like to discuss one of the most important elements necessary to create um, a satisfying marriage relationship. And this is what I want to say about that. What keeps a marriage going, what enables us to be you know, in love and to stay in love for, life, for a lifetime is not a house or children, sex, money. What keeps a marriage alive, what makes a relationship worth the effort is intimacy. The experience of intimacy in that marriage is what keeps it going, what gives it satisfaction. Now the word intimacy simply means to be close or to be familiar. In marriage, intimacy means to be close and familiar physically, emotionally, and spiritually to our marriage partner. It's the, it's the thing that we describe as falling or being in love. You know when people say, I'm in love, or you know, we fell in love, what, what they're saying is we fell into intimacy. That exhilarating feeling that comes when you discover how wonderful it is to be so close to another person. We, we, we try to give it names. You know, my, he's my soulmate. She's my soulmate. The, you know, one, in a, one in a million type thing. You want that feeling all the time. So what do you do? You marry. You get married so that you can stay close all the time. Um, but once you marry, uh, several things happen. You start getting busy, building a house, driving the kids to daycare, getting ahead in your career, staying busy all the time, so that you begin to forget and to neglect to take care of that initial intimacy. It's, it's the, the discovery of intimacy with your partner at the beginning that brought you together. And then as you get busy, doing stuff, getting, you know, raising a family and a career and taking care of your parents or whatever, those things tend to crowd out that intimacy. It's kind of push you apart, if you wish. And you lose that intimacy after a while. And you begin scratching your head and, and, and wondering, hmm, you know, now why, why is it we got married? Why, why can't we get back what we had at the beginning? And so what happens in a lot of cases is that the house gets paid off and the kids grow up and you get the promotion at work, but your marriage just dries up because the intimacy is gone. You see, getting married doesn't preserve intimacy. It only acknowledges that you have it and it provides a safe framework to pursue and build intimacy. The work in marriage the, the thing that you're trying to build is not the house or the pension fund or the guaranteed college for the kids. I mean, that's all part of marriage and family, of course. But the work in marriage is keeping and building the level of intimacy you share with your partner so that the rest of life, whether it's good or bad, is uh, worthwhile. Your marriage is worthwhile because you have that intimacy. It's, it's the payoff, it's the reward. 
for the work in raising children, and, you know, going to work every day. Marriage is worth it, no matter what, when there is intimacy in the marriage. It's the reward of marriage. Now, we find out that intimacy is not automatic. It just doesn't happen if you share the same house or the same apartment. It, is, it doesn't come with the, with the marriage ceremony. Just because you have the marriage ceremony doesn't mean you know, that, oh, we have intimacy because we have a marriage license. Intimacy is a learned thing. It cannot be obtained or maintained without effort, without practice. I mean, it's worth it, but you have to work at it. Total intimacy requires us to develop our relationship in three main areas. And that's what I want to talk about in, the, uh, you know, in this lesson here, how to develop uh, intimacy. Not enough to say we need intimacy and the intimacy is the reward for, you know, for, that we receive in marriage, but how do you create it and how do you maintain it? Well, here are a couple of uh, ways to do that. First of all, we have to develop intellectual and emotional intimacy. So marital intimacy requires that the heads and the hearts be close. We need to know what the other person thinks and feels, and they need to know what we think and feel in order to cultivate that type of intimacy that is so good. Now we build this intellectual and emotional intimacy by practicing open and honest communication with one another, and I've talked about that in the past, haven't I? We even had that communication, productive communication worksheet. That's what that's about working on being able to know each other and understand what each other is thinking and how to communicate what we're thinking. To build intellectual and emotional intimacy, we need to say honestly and kindly what is really on our minds and on our hearts, not just what, just, not just what you think the other person wants to hear. You have to be open and honest. Words like transparent, vulnerable, that's, that's where they play into. We must also learn to listen patiently and make sure that you understand what your partner is saying before you speak. All of this requires time and effort and humility. You know, the ability to say, I'm sorry, or to say, I forgive you. It requires humility to say, I forgive you, because if you're saying, I forgive you, it means you're the one that's been hurt. And it requires humility to say, I'm sorry. Because if you're the one saying, I'm sorry, it means you're the one that's done the hurting. And you have to acknowledge that. And you have to acknowledge that you may have done something wrong. Sometimes, you know, some people can, uh, uh, <laughs> some people can admit that they've been hurt, but they have trouble admitting that they're the ones that do the hurting. So it requires, you know, both sides uh, requires uh, humility. Another area where we need to develop intimacy, physical intimacy, not just intellectual and emotional intimacy, but we need to work at physical intimacy. I mean, just because you know, we know how to have sex doesn't mean we have intimacy. Just because we have physical desire for our partner doesn't mean that our desire creates or maintains intimacy. Physical intimacy is not the same thing as sex. They're separate things, but both of them are necessary in order to perfect the other. Suffice to say that men and women 
see and experience physical intimacy in different ways. And this is what causes a lot of problems in marriage. For example, women need physical intimacy in order to be free to enjoy sex. Okay? And men, on the other hand, need sex in order to experience physical intimacy. And that's usually the, you know, the stress point in marital relationships, especially when it comes to physical intimacy, sexual intimacy. We both need different things. Men and women need different things in order to arrive at the point of enjoying sexual, uh, sexual intimacy. This basic difference between men and women is one of the reasons why there's often conflict in a marriage over the issue of sex. In the next lesson that we're going to do, I'm going to be taking a deeper look at the role of sex within marriage and what is the true purpose of sex in a relationship. We'll talk about that next time. Suffice to say in today's lesson that physical intimacy needs to be cultivated and sexual activity is not the only method to cultivate physical intimacy. One thing to note, however, is that without emotional and intellectual intimacy, there cannot be satisfying physical and sexual intimacy. You can't divorce the two. A third and often neglected area that also needs cultivating for there to be complete intimacy within the couple is spiritual intimacy. In other words, to be completely one and familiar and close, there needs to be a shared spiritual life as well. Now I mentioned to you in our first session that in a U.S. survey on the subject of religion and marriage, the results showed that in a couple where neither one had any religious beliefs or practices, the divorce rate was one out of two. In couples where one partner had religious convictions, at least one of the partners had it, the divorce rate fell to one in 40. And when both couples uh, were uh, you know, faithful Christians, uh, shared a, a mutual commitment to worship and service in the church, the divorce rate fell to one in 400. And so religious faith is important to a marriage because without spiritual intimacy and interaction, the couple tries to succeed in a relationship specifically designed by God. You know, you're, you're trying to succeed in something that was designed and which is directed by God without acknowledging that God is there with no religious convictions at all. That's, that's, that's pretty tough. Leaving God out of a marriage is like trying to you know, play baseball without a rule book or umpires and, and coaches. I mean, you can play, but you don't play well. And there'll be plenty of fights. Thank goodness sometimes there are umpires. They make the decision. You're out or you're safe. <laughs> Once they decide, that's it. And so bringing God and his word into our marriages gives us or gives our relationships a spiritual dimension without which we can never actually feel complete, no matter how well we get along or how good the sex is. Okay, so in order to create intimacy, we need to cultivate it at the intellectual, emotional, and physical level, as well as the spiritual level. 
So this brings us to the beautiful poetry of the book entitled Song of Solomon, in which we find eight practical ways or steps to help every marriage cultivate and maintain this thing called intimacy. Eight steps to developing intimacy. Well, first of all, let me give you just a little bit of background about the book of, uh, that Solomon has written here, Song of Solomon. Among the books Solomon wrote, Song of Solomon is the most beautiful in its praise and description of the love that exists between a man and a woman. Um, Song of Solomon is poetry. It's filled with imagery and it can be looked at from various perspectives. So you can say that uh, Song of Solomon is a book of poetry describing the relationship between God and His people in the Old Testament. Or you can look at it and study it as poetry that describes the relationship between Christ and His church in the New Testament. Or you can look at it as a book of poetry describing the simple intimate relationship between a man and a woman who are in love. For our purposes in this class, we're going to follow the third interpretation. Now, some background information to help us understand the book. The book is written in poetic form, so there's a lot of symbolism and imagery, especially of nature. It shifts suddenly from speaker to speaker, which makes it difficult to follow at times. You know, you're reading along and one person is speaking, and then whoops, somebody else is speaking. So you kind of have to pay attention who the narrator is. It has a, um, a variety of characters and speakers. Uh, first of all, there's the young bride, the Shulamite woman, uh, the king himself, which is Solomon, and then there's a chorus of palace ladies called the daughters of Jerusalem. And they kind of pipe in from time to time with their comments. Now, many scholars think that the bride was Abishag, who was the beautiful maiden chosen to care for David in his old age and then taken by Solomon as his wife after David died. Though there is a great difference in time and culture, there is one thing the couple had in this poetry book, and that is intimacy. And we can trace eight steps that got them to their wonderful sense of intimacy in their relationship. So let's go over those now, shall we? First, eight steps to intimacy. Step one, they had a strong physical attraction. In Song of Solomon, chapter one, verses one and two, we read the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. So right away, it's the bride speaking. She's excited by the thought of his repeated kisses. And in this, God reveals that the strong physical attraction is a, is a basic ingredient that bonds people together. Because we're attracted sexually, I mean, that's not a man thing, you know, a human thing. God designed that. He designed us to be like that. So you can stay married without physical attraction, without sex, but you can't remain intimate without sex. It's important to maintain and cultivate your sex life because it contributes directly to your uh, sense of intimacy. And we're going to, as I say, we're going to go more deeply into that subject in the, in the next lesson. So eight steps to intimacy. The first step, a strong physical attraction. Step two, a purified character. In verse 3a, she says, your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. 
So how do, you, how do you get the spark back into a relationship when it's gone? Well, sometimes it's physical. You know, sometimes you, you're not having intimacy because of illness or handicap or age. And in these circumstances, we need to ask God to help us maintain our relationship through those periods. Sometimes we lose the spark because of character. You know, in the poem, God reveals that her passion for him was based on his character, not just his looks. What's on the inside sparks something on the outside. She compares his name, his character, to purified oil. That his character was purified by God was very attractive to her. In other words, he had spiritual qualities about him, piety and meekness. He also had social qualities. He was considerate and honest. You know, it's, it's hard to be intimate with someone who is addicted to something, whatever that is. It's hard to be intimate with someone who uses bad language or with someone who cheats or who is unkind. I mean, there's nothing more attractive, nothing builds intimacy like a godly character. Number three, eight steps to intimacy, the respect of others. In verse uh, 3b, she says, therefore the maidens love you. Now we see intimacy as something shared by two people. And in verse 3a, uh, the woman declares that her appreciation of him, Solomon, is heightened because others see in him what she saw in him. You know, she says all the maidens agree about his character. It's hard to fall in love with and be intimate with an illusion, a front, an act, a masquerade. In marriage, our love and appreciation grows along with our desire for intimacy when the value of our partner is recognized by other people in our family and in our community. When what we see and love is confirmed as real, as legitimate by others, that gives us confidence to go deeper into that intimacy. You know, that's one reason why adultery, for example, rarely leads to intimacy, because everybody is against it. No one, can, uh, no one is confirming that that's a good relationship. Right? Even, in, even in our day, right? even in our day of you know, pretty loose sexual morals, uh, uh, gay marriage, so on and so forth, even homosexuals are against adultery. Right? And so when no one confirms your relationship, if you're you know, committed, if you cheated on your, on your spouse, if nobody confirms that that's a good thing, it's very hard for that relationship to survive. It's very hard to appreciate that person. It's why the approval, for example, of our, uh, of our partner by our parents is so important to us, even today. You know, when you bring your girlfriend home to meet your folks or your boyfriend home to meet your folks. Uh, so important that they approve. I mean, you may go ahead and get married anyways without their approval, but that wouldn't be wise. They know you real well and if they get to know your boyfriend real well, they usually have a pretty good idea if that person is a good match. Anyways, the point is, Intimacy is fed, intimacy is created, intimacy is encouraged when others confirm uh, the quality of our, of our beloved. Step number four, 
uh, biblical balance. In verse 4a, the woman says, draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. And so the woman encourages her husband to take the lead. An, an intimacy killer is the struggle for power in the home. That, you want an intimacy killer? That'll kill it dead right there. You know, men, unfortunately, they confuse leadership with control. That's not the same thing. Women reject the idea of male spiritual leadership because they've never experienced it or they've experienced perverted forms of male spiritual leadership. You know, maybe their father, he was a Christian, let's just say, their dad was a Christian, but he was a violent man, abusive, hurtful in what he said. I'm the boss, you know, my word is the king and so on. And so, you know, they're not sold on male spiritual leadership if that's what they've seen growing up. The Bible, however, requires men to lead, not to control or dominate, but to lead through service. And they do this by anticipating and providing the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of the home. Now, many times men fail at this because they think that providing the bulk of the physical needs entitles them to control everything. You know, in one salary families, let's just say mom is working in the home with the family in the home and, and dad is out you know, earning a salary. Sometimes the, the man who is the only income earner thinks that that role allows him to make all the decisions, control everything, dominate everything. I want to tell you, control kills intimacy because it suffocates it. Women, on the other hand, must realize that submission is not natural. It is a gift that is offered and made possible by faith in God, who gives the strength to a woman to accomplish it. You know, in my own life and in our own marriage, my wife, Lise, gives me the leadership role and she gives it to me as a precious gift, as a responsibility. And so the, the mistake that women make is that they confuse leadership with control also and they fight it, they ridicule it or they try to usurp it or you know, throw it off. You can't be intimate with someone you resent or someone you're fighting with for leadership. And so both partners understanding clearly what their role is in a Christian marriage. The men are to provide spiritual leadership. But spiritual leadership is demonstrated through service, through sacrifice. And women willingly submit to their husband's spiritual and moral leadership. They do it willingly. It's not coerced out of them. They offer it as a gift and they do it. Uh, they're able to do it through faith, faith in, in God. And they do it because of their faith in Christ, because this is what Christ requires of them. And so biblical balance in a relationship helps lead and maintain that, that intimacy. Step five, security in the relationship. Uh, are you more secure in your relationship this year than you were before? See, intimacy requires security in order to bloom. In chapter one, verse five and six, the woman says, I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. 
Do not stare at me because I am swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. So here the woman feels insecure about the way she looks compared to the women at court, at Solomon's court. You know, she was a working girl, she had a suntan. And the women at court, you know, at the royal court, they stayed out of the sun. They, they wanted to keep their skin you know, uh, white. Uh, they were the rich girls. Nothing has changed, right? She was a poor girl from the country. Beautiful, spiritual, but a poor girl from the country. And she felt you know, insecure when compared to the women at court. In chapter two, verse one, she says, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. And so in this verse, we find out she feels better about herself using a term given to her by her beloved. Who do you think calls her the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley? I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's Solomon's term for her, his loving term affectionate term for her. In chapter two, verse 16, she says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies. And here she expresses the idea of possessiveness and assurance. You know, they're intimate physically. He belongs to her. He is hers. She feels no competition from other women. And this builds their intimacy together. Certainly her sense of intimacy. And then in chapter seven, verse 10, she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. So after they're married, of course, she is secure in the fact that she is the only one that he loves. And so the more your partner is secure, the more they open up, the more they open up and invest themselves in the relationship, the greater the intimacy. And remember, the goal in marriage is to cultivate and maintain intimacy. It's the payoff. It's the good feeling that you keep. Uh, it's the thing that makes all the other difficult things in marriage worthwhile. Step number six, give praise. If you want to cultivate intimacy, there needs to be praise that goes back and forth. Someone will say, well, how do I make my partner feel secure? Answer, the constant giving of praise. Solomon praises her over 40 times in this book, seven times on their wedding night alone. Praise builds esteem and esteem builds security. And security enables a person to let the barriers down and be more open and intimate with their partner. Step number seven, continual focus. Chapter one, verse 13, she writes, my beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. Now in those days uh, of no air conditioning or good bathing, perfume was used abundantly. And so the point here is that like perfume that continually you know, gave off a pleasant smell, the thought of her beloved was continually before her and pleasing. It's not you know, the big things that kill intimacy, it's the daily neglect of each other in little ways that destroys our closeness. Your marriage partner is the only person that you are committed to for life. It's not that way for work, it's not that way for other associations. The attention invested in this relationship should be constant. 
you uh, invest in your retirement you know, a little bit at a time in order to enjoy a benefit later on, well in the same way we should invest or focus our attention on our partner each day in many little ways so that we can always enjoy the benefits of intimacy throughout the marriage. Jesus said where your heart is, there will your treasure be also, Matthew 6 verse 21. So if your spouse is your treasure, then your heart will be focused on him or her each day to reap the rewards of a lifetime of intimacy. Well, I want to play a song at this point, beautiful song by Kathy Matea, as an example of the fruit of intimacy and focus over a lifetime. And I'm going to throw up the, uh, the lyrics on the, um, on the screen so that, uh, you can, um, so that you can see um, uh, the lyrics and read along the lyrics as she sings this song. So let's, uh, let's play the song. It's not very long. And then we'll come back with the eighth step of, uh, for intimacy. Spoke a word. 
Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful song? It's an old song, uh, but such a beautiful song and expresses so wonderfully the, the idea of intimacy. These two, the, the intimacy that they shared for a long, long time, even into uh, advanced age. All right, well, let's take a look at uh, eight steps to intimacy, step number eight, and that is spiritual oneness. In verse 17, she writes, the beams of our houses are cedars our rafters, cypresses. Total intimacy requires spiritual intimacy. So in this verse, the bride says to her love, the beams of our houses are cedars and rafters, cypresses. She refers to each of their respective lives as houses built with the same material. Now in those days, cedar and cypress were the expensive woods used to build not just a house, but used to build the temple. And so their home was their life together. And it was built with the best materials, which were spiritual things like faith and worship and service to God. I mean, you can have a good marriage without faith, because many people do. And you can have a good marriage if only one partner is a Christian, many people do. But only two equally committed believers can share the total intimacy, mind, body, and spirit that God intended marriage to be. Sometimes the only thing that will heal the hearts of the mind and body, or the hurts rather, of the mind and body are the prayers of a, a, believing, a believing heart. I don't know what people do in marriages that, that have problems. Uh, people who have no faith, people who have no access to prayer, uh, because prayer is a healing mechanism uh, for a relationship. And I don't just mean prayer, solo prayer by yourself. I mean, when the husband says to the wife, let's pray about this, you know, reaches out and takes her hands and says, let's, let's pray about this. It's hard to argue when you're praying. It's hard to feel resentful when you're praying together and sharing that moment of of prayer. So the best way to create or recreate intimacy is to begin to establish spiritual intimacy. When we can find each other in prayer and worship, when we can share our faith and knowledge of the Bible, when we can serve the Lord in some way together, we are establishing the building blocks of intimacy at every level. For a married couple, Spiritual closeness leads to emotional and physical closeness because this is God's will for married people, that the two become one flesh. Genesis 2 verse 24. From the very beginning, it was God's will that men and women would find complete intimacy in marriage. 
Well, I hope our series, including today's lesson, has helped you, uh, you know, achieve this to a greater degree. I think if you take these principles that I've shared with you, apply them in your own life, you'll see that there will be a benefit, the benefit of a greater intimacy between couples. All right, next time we get together, our final lesson in the series, Great Sex for Life. I hope you'll be with us for that. All right, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.